Daniel Newton, when I was 18, um, he took me on my first missions trip to South Africa. And uh, I went again a year later with him. And Daniel and his teams, Dan has led teams all across the world. When I call Dan, I never know where he's going to be. He literally travels the world, and he sees God move in incredible ways. But at that time, Dan was still pretty young. I think Dan was like 20, I don't know, 23, 24. And so it was me, a friend, Chris, who was like 16 at the time, Dan and his mom. So it was a great big missions trip. Two teenagers, another guy in his early 20s, and this guy's mom. So it was like, we're going to Africa together. And we went to Africa, and God did so many awesome things. And there was a few, two stories I want to tell briefly out of that first missions trip to South Africa. And I feel like it ties into the, what, what God wants to do in our life as a church. Um, the first story is, I remember growing up in a Christian home, growing up in church, growing up believing that God does miracles. God does signs and wonders. The supernatural is real. His presence is real. But I didn't quite really see a lot with my own eyes. Um, and so I go, here I am, you know, 18 years old, and we accidentally, I say accidentally because God knows what he's doing. We were supposed to go to this lady's house to pray with her and her family. And we got to our house and the doors were locked and nobody was home. We're like, okay, so what do we do? So we had heard from another person, hey, there's somebody down the street that really could use your prayer. So we go down the street into this little house and there's this African, South African family, uh, speaks little English, but the father had been paralyzed completely in his left side for six years. And his two daughters are there and the wife's there and they're like, you know, he, he can't work. Like he got, he's paralyzed and he can't work and we're, we're poor, you know. Um, and, and South Africa poor is very different than Scranton, Pennsylvania poor. It's, it's, your life is shot, right? And so they're like, can, we, can you pray with them? So this is me and Dan, Daniel's mother uh, because Dan was in another house at the time. So it's just the two of us. And we start to pray for this guy. And within 15, 20 minutes, he's completely moving. And his family is in tears. I'm making this story really short for you. Um, like, his body is fully functional. He's standing again. His family is in tears. This is no joke. This is no fake miracle. This is, when there's real tears, God's really done something. And so the next day we see this family. The daughter comes up. And this is a couple days later. The daughter comes up and she's like, my dad's out looking for jobs today. Like, how exciting is this, right? And so that marked me. That was the first time I laid my hands on somebody and literally saw them rise, saw them begin to move their arm that they could no longer move, saw them stand on their own. It was an incredible moment. So that was one of the days, and a few days later, we're out in the middle of a village and uh, mud huts, just like Africa, Africa, you know, what you picture. It's mud huts, little tiny houses, and it's, let me tell you this, it's dark in mud huts. It's weird because there's no lights in mud huts. Um, so we go in this mud hut, this family invites us in, and there's a man who they believe is demonized. Um, why they believe he's demonized is because he was a per- perfectly normal teenage young man. I think he was probably 18, 19. Perfectly normal, and then about four months prior to us getting there, all of a sudden he no longer spoke and just stared. Like something happened. I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, why is this guy not talking? So the family's concerned. And so I remember going and praying for this man, but I'm a teenager who's never really encountered this kind of thing. And the dude's just staring and like, kind of like half moaning, like just 
not doing anything. It was weird. And it's in a dark mud hut. And I'm a just out of high school boy. This is how I pray. Dear Jesus. Like, I didn't do much of the praying. Like, I let Daniel do all the praying. I'm, like, in the corner, ready, like, finding the only exit. Like, I'm terrified a little bit of this thing. I say that because it marked me. I saw a, a demonic presence, and I felt it, and I knew it was real. I also saw God's hand in healing somebody who was paralyzed. And we saw other miracles. We saw other incredible things that marked me for the rest of my life in, in that trip. Um, if you've never been on a missions trip, go. I don't care if it's a mission trip to Chicago. Go. You will, would you go expecting God to move? Guess what? He moves. He does. So it doesn't have to be a third world country. God moves in Scranton, Pennsylvania. That's a side note, just in case you didn't know. Anyway, so those things marked me, and I, and I encourage you to be a part of a missionary trip. And, and Daniel and his team is coming here. It's exciting. They, they've seen so many awesome things. But that, that did something in me. It changed the way I viewed my, my faith. It changed the way I viewed my theology. Make sense? Because what I just read in Scripture was something I now saw in person. And I didn't really know how to handle some of that. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. We've been in this series uh, at City Lights talking about the kingdom of God. And we see that Jesus tells us to pray... Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We see that John the Baptist declares, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. Like So here I come, I bring the kingdom. Here's the kingdom on the earth through me. We see this imagery of the kingdom on the earth when he arrives on the scene. So we at City Lights have been going through this journey as what does it look like for the kingdom of God to invade Scranton? What does it look like? It's a seed planted. It's in Christ. It's in us. We are all part of it. We get to manifest the kingdom. We see that the kingdom of God is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. But that's where we're kind of where we're at a little bit. And I want to start, before we read the chapter here, the beginning of chapter 11, this is where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And he uses the term Father, Right? He tells them to pray, Father, and he tells them to pray for forgiveness and for, and for provision and for the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what he tells them to pray. And then he goes into the story after this saying, hey, which of you, if you go to a friend's house late at night and you're knocking on the door and you need something, even if your friend's got kids sleeping, how many of you after a while, even if your friend's irritated, that friend will give you what you're asking, right? And then he says, how many of you who are parents... If you ask your father for something, will that father give you a scorpion or something really evil instead of an egg like you want? Our father, he says, how much more will the heavenly father who is good give you the things that you need? So Jesus lays this foundation. Hey, in my kingdom, the way that we interact with God the father is knowing that he is good. He listens to our cries. When we look at Jesus' example of how to pray, he uses this term here, father. And in that culture, it's not something most Jewish people walked around just calling God Father. It didn't happen. What it did do, it referred back to the way they addressed the God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt. When Jesus uses this term, it's reminding them of that same deliverer, redeemer, the one who got them out of slavery. So already that mind, when they hear this, they're thinking, this is a God who delivers us from something. This is a God who hears our cries. Make sense? 
This is a God who responds to us, who brings us out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of bondage, and into life. Jesus uses the same term. We have already seen it last week when we see some of these other stories here are referring back to the Exodus, referring back to deliverance. The kingdom is always about bringing freedom to us. Freedom to those who are in him who the Son has set free is free indeed, right? The kingdom is always about freedom for those who are in bondage. <coughs> now I want to read today's passage this morning in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. Let's stop there for a second. I know I had mentioned about that mute demon in South Africa. But typically when you think of demons, do you think of a mute demon? No, we think of the exorcism, you know, like head spinning, weird words coming out like, look at me, and like vomiting and all kinds of crazy. We don't think of mute demons too much. But here we have a biblical example of a mute demon. It's, to me, I don't know, I just, I think it's strange. You guys are all very tired this morning. Like, like, no, that's normal. Mute demons makes a lot of sense. Okay, anyway. But he he cast out this mute demon, whatever it was. Probably very similar to what I experienced in South Africa. This demon that bound up this man to not be able to speak, to not be able to communicate. So some of them marveled. But some of them said, this is verse 15, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household fails or falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man fully armed guards his own place, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, which he has trusted, and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We're going to stop there. What I want you to see here is Jesus, they they look at Jesus who just cast out a demon, who just is praying, and you see he's already had all these signs and miracles and, and wonders happen. This is not the first demon Jesus has casted out. But when these religious people, these religious, self-righteous rulers look at him, some people marvel, but they instead say, no, 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 that can't be from God. That's got to be from the devil. He's casting out demons from the main demon. That's where he gets his power from. And so some of them basically turned it around on him saying, hey, you're really a devil. That's what this is. You're not casting out devils. You're the big devil. That's what you got. And then others, like, yeah, we don't know. We'd rather see some more signs. That's what it says. Like, some of them rebuked him and turned it around on him. Some of them were like, let's, give us, let's, let's show us a little more, Jesus. We need another sign, not just this demon thing. And Jesus responds to them, it doesn't make sense for the enemy to attack himself. It doesn't make sense for the devil to attack the devil. No kingdom that attacks itself survives. And he says, so if I am attacking my own kingdom, how does that work? And if you, your own sons, 
The Pharisees, those religious, those Jewish leaders, they're able to have exorcisms. So if they're able to have exorcisms, are they also by the devil? Because you've done that before too. Where is this coming from? But the main thing I want want you to see before we begin to answer some of these questions is he says, if you've seen me cast out this demon, you have seen the finger of God. And then what's it say? The finger of God that I cast out demons, then the, the kingdom has come upon you. So if it's the finger of God, if it's God's presence that has cast out this demon, then my kingdom has come right here for you to see and feel and touch. Make sense? So the kingdom of God and the finger of God are closely related. Let me explain. In Exodus chapter 31, we see the finger of God coming when God uses his finger to write the Ten Commandments. So people have something to live from. It's establishing the rules of his kingdom. Make sense? The way he governs, the way he operates. It's his finger. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, we see the plagues happen. Go ahead and turn with me there, if you would, actually. This, is, this to me, makes me laugh. Exodus chapter 8, verse 17. This is during the plagues. And this is the third plague. This is the gnats, right? Little bugs. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that they become gnats of all the land of Egypt. So they did. Aaron stretched out his hand and the staff and struck the dust of the earth and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in the land of Egypt. Let me stop there for a second. Have you ever been in the field where there's gnats like crazy? I remember playing softball the other year and we're in a, in a field practicing and there are little gnats everywhere. And so next thing you know, every guy in the, in the field standing out in the field like this. You guys know what I'm talking about? Why are we doing this? Because the gnats go to the highest thing. And they're like, you got like a swarm of bugs around your head just to keep them off your face. Nobody likes gnats. Nobody, right? Anybody in this room like gnats? You're like a big gnat fan. Like, give, me, give me the gnats. No? Nobody likes gnats. You don't want gnats. So God, to demonstrate his power... To get the people out of bondage, says, hey, this is what I'm going to do your kingdom, Pharaoh. I'm going to bring gnats, because you won't like it. Right? So they come. Aaron stretches out the rod. Now look at the response of Pharaoh's magicians. I love this. The magicians tried by their secret art to produce gnats, but they could not. Wait, what? They're like, hey, this will prove it. This will get them back. Your God's no good. We'll make our own gnats. We want more gnats to prove how good we... What? I just, does anybody else think that's weird? To me, I'm like, if I was Pharaoh, I'd be like, guys, you're getting this wrong. Try, try to get rid of the gnats. Try to kill the gnats. Don't make more. And they couldn't even make more gnats. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. They see God clearly move. The magicians who are trying to just prove some kind of power can't do it. And they say, Pharaoh, this is God's hand. This is his finger. This is his presence. This is him doing something. And Pharaoh's like, no, 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 no. I'm too, I, I can't. I won't receive that. I won't listen to that. His heart was hardened. Does that make sense? So we see the finger of God in the writing of the law. We see the finger of God through these, these plagues. We see the fear, finger of God in creation. Go to, with me if Psalms chapter 8, with, if you would. I love this Psalms. This is a fantastic Psalms for us. Chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You have set your glory above the heavens out of mouths of babes and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, of the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly angels and have crowned him with glory and honor and have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This psalm says here, everything's made by your finger works. It's by your hands. It's by your presence. Creation itself is the finger of God. The kingdom of God, his established rule and reign is because of his works. And then the psalmist says, but somehow you have made man Lord over this. You have given us authority over your kingdom. Why? Let me, let me, this is not part of my message, but I want you to see something. And we've talked about this before. The whole narrative of, Christ, of, of the gospel, of the good news, of creation is a few things. One, his never-ending love for us. But secondly, from the Garden of Eden to the psalmist here, even until the end, his promise is for us to lord and rule over the earth that he has created. It's his kingdom. His kingdom that you and I get to be a part of. To see and have authority over and to demonstrate. You and I get to bear his kingdom, to usher in his kingdom. Does that make sense? To have authority from his kingdom. He's made it. It's his finger, but yet we get to be a part of it. It's beautiful. Why? The psalmist doesn't even know. He's like, why? What is man? Why, why did you let us be a part of this? Luke chapter 9. We'll go there real quick. I want you to see this. The finger of God. The finger of God is his kingdom. It's miracles. It's plagues. It's his creation. It's his law. The kingdom of God, though, for us right now, we have to recognize that miracles, signs, and wonders are a part of the kingdom of God. Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 1. I'll read this quickly. And he called the together, 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He sent them out to do what? To heal, cast out demons. With what message? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is signs and wonders and letting those who are broken and in slavery demonized or oppressed or depressed or oppressed or whatever kind of press we want to put on them, those are the people that we are supposed to set free because it's ushering in the gospel of the kingdom. It's seeing those who are sick and wounded and hurt and broken and paralyzed come back to life. That is a part of what we get to do as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. The finger of God is miracle signs and wonders, which always comes with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to have these things involved. It's a part of it. It's a part of the very fabric of it. Does that make sense? This morning, we are asking... For God to move his finger in this city, to move his finger in our lives and through us as a sign of his kingdom, as a part, not a sign of his kingdom, but as a part of his kingdom in a land where there's pharaohs and their hearts are hardened. We know, we know the political landscape of Scranton, Pennsylvania. We know 
the brokenness of Scranton, Pennsylvania and Wilkes-Barre and the surrounding area over the last decades. We know of the hearts turned toward drug addiction or abuse or whatever, and they haven't quite received the finger of God in this city yet. Does that make sense? God is asking us, if we want to be a church that seeks the kingdom of God in this city, we have to also welcome miracles, signs, wonders, and the demonized set free. It's a part of it. It hasn't stopped, church. It hasn't. It hasn't ended. Because all those things of brokenness still exist. His hand has not stopped moving. He desires when He sent us out to let us see those things. Let us see the finger of God. He says, if you've seen Me cast out demons, you've seen the finger of God and the kingdom of heaven is upon you. It's tied together. In John chapter 6, verse 14, when He saw the sign that He had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by Himself. Jesus understood. Let me me explain that verse. So he does signs and wonders, and they look at him and say, he's got to be the prophet that's promised. We're going to make him king. Signs and wonders, power and authority, accompany kingship. If you're a king with zero power, not really a king, right? Not really a king. Okay, this is not in my notes. What time are we at? We're okay. You guys got time, right? That was nervous laughter and frowns. <laughs> I got a thumbs up from Willie in the back. All right, we're good. I, I'm a big geek, um, if you don't know. And I love Star Wars. Some of you guys are like, blasphemy, Star Trek is better. Now, nah, get out of here. I'm kidding. But do you remember this, the scene in Star Wars? I think it's, uh, I think it's Return of the Jedi. Um, I'm not that big of a geek. I don't have this memorized. But do you remember the scene where, where they, the Ewoks, the little, little bear guys? See, they see C-3PO and they think he's like this golden god, right? And he can't do anything. And the whole time, like, Han and Luke are like, C-3PO, help us out here, man. Tell him, let us go. And he's not doing anything. And for some reason, I don't, know, I don't remember, C-3PO is kind of confusing. He's in this chair and he's not helping them. And then Luke uses the force to like make C-3PO. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm going straight geek here. I get it. But then all of a sudden, then that guy had real authority. When they thought he was levitating out of anger, they thought he had authority. He really didn't. Let me say, if a king doesn't have authority, he's not really king. It's not really a kingdom. Jesus says, like, look, I'm casting out demons because of the kingdom of God. The finger of God is in me. I have authority over that world, over that oppressor. Don't look at what I do and say, oh, that's got to be the devil. That doesn't make any sense. It's his kingdom that destroys the work of the enemy. That's what God invites us to be a part of. In Luke chapter 7, he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Remember the story of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner declaring Christ. All of a sudden he's in prison and he's going to die. I was going to tell a side story, but I won't. It's just weird. That one I added. I do edit some things out of my message, just so you know. John's, gonna, John's like, hey, I'm hearing, I'm going to die. I want to make sure that I got this right. So he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, are you really the one, or should we have talked about another one? 
Should we be looking for somebody else? Like, this is the same John who, like, got it, right? In the womb, he leaped, the Holy Spirit filled him. But here he is, like, on his deathbed, in a sense. Like, literally, in, in prison, about to die. And he's like, I want to make sure I get this right. Jesus' response is, is it, are you asking me, is this the kingdom of God? Is this the one that was supposed to come? Is this the fulfillment of the prophecy? Let me tell you what it looks like, John. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. That is the kingdom of God. I've come bringing these things. There is your answer, John. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me. He's saying the one who thinks that my kingdom looks like sword and spears and some kind of throne and some kind of rulership, you're going to be offended by me. My kingdom looks very different. It's deliverance for the broken, healing for the sick. That's my kingdom. How dare we as a church ever look at the kingdom of God and make this thing just about some kind of moral feeling? I'm all for feeling God's grace and forgiveness in my personal life, but there's way more power than that in his kingdom. There is real authority given to us because he wants to give it to us. So many times we need to trust God with the gifts he's given us and speak and declare authority. And then we can, just like the psalmist, look at him and say, why are you giving this to me? I don't know, but thank you. I don't know why you're giving me the authority over this, but thank you. Authority over the supernatural is a display of his kingdom. Authority, signs, wonders, prophecy, they are to display his power and not our own. Let me, let me make sure I'm really clear on this point. Because some of us have seen churches who are so-called prophetic, so-called signs, wonder, evangelists on TV, whatever, and we've seen them misuse their giftings. We've seen, we've seen them misuse their money. We've seen them misuse their platform, right? And so what we naturally want to do is say, ooh, that's awful. That's got to be the work of the Beelzebub. Just because, let me say, okay. Has anybody ever seen somebody misuse food? Have you given up food? No. Has anybody ever seen somebody misuse, I don't know, what's, what's something else? Our culture misuses sex. Our culture misuses money. We see people use that for manipulation and greed and power and control. God has said the gifts that I've given the church, the authority of the kingdom I've given the church is not for your own glory, but for my glory and their freedom. Let's not, let's not make the gifts over here in one apartment and then Christianity over here. They're tied together. It's a part of the kingdom. When we see his kingdom move, there's freedom. And when there's freedom, there's celebration. Imagine the tone of Scranton, Pennsylvania if we saw the finger of God come and deliver us from heroin addiction. Imagine the tone of Scranton, Pennsylvania, if we saw families restored again. If we saw deep, deep values for, for his goodness and generosity. What if we saw politics that weren't corrupt? What if we saw real community and sense of family instead of isolation and brokenness? Man, I will never forget when I moved here, first time ever I was ever asked, what is my nationality? What is your racial background? What? Like, where do you come from? I'm white. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, I thought. 
I'm like, no, where do you come from? I'm like, Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, originally. Uh, no, 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 your ancestry. I don't know. I'm like, oh, you don't, how do you not know that? Like, my whole entire, all my coworkers were, like, confused by this mystery. How does he not care about all these, I don't know, my grandmother's Cherokee. I think I know that. And I think somewhere on the other side, somebody came from Sweden. What does that make me? I don't know. Like, but here, everybody, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, less than 50 years ago, Scranton was divided, literally divided, into your Polish section, your Italian section, your Irish section. We have, there's sections of this city over nationality. What if this place just became a manifestation of the kingdom of God? And that's it. And unity and camaraderie, as Martin loves to say, that's a good Martin word, camaraderie, I love it. What if that became something that we just fully embraced? How much dancing and celebration would be in us? How much energy? How many times would I, now I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody say, yeah, I can't wait to get out of the city. Yeah, I've been here all my life, you know, one day I'm going to move. No, you're not. You've just not moved yet. But how many times have we heard that, right? There's a negative self-talk over this city, and that is not the kingdom flowing through us. That's the kingdom of darkness flowing through us. We need to speak and declare life. We need to speak and declare deliverance for the city. Yeah, Robert's going to share a quick, a quick snapshot of, of what you shared with me the other day. This, uh, this, I want you to hear this story, because this is what we're talking about. That's the kingdom. I, he told me that the other day, and I'm like, there was, there was zero work involved on Robert's end, really. Just obedience. Like, okay, something's stirring in my heart. We're just going to say this. There's nothing more to it. Nothing more. The kingdom, authority of the kingdom is just us receiving what he's calling us to do, and that's pray for the sick, the wounded, the hurt, the broken, to speak life, to cast out demons. It's simple. This morning, I'm asking us, and I I know it's getting a little later than normal, but I'm asking us, the kingdom, we as the body of Christ, we have to be what I would call single-minded. We have to have one vision, one one understanding. You look in Exodus chapter 8, and you look in Luke chapter 11, and you have this ruler of the time, see the finger of God, and they call it something else. We have a responsibility to look at that same finger of God when he moves and recognize him and his glory and that it's his kingdom among us. We have a responsibility as a church to see signs and wonders and, and to see miracles and to say that is God trying to move and intervene and bringing his kingdom out in us. We have to keep that focus. We can't get confused and let our theology go in crazy directions. Well, this is what my experience says. Like, how about the Bible says this? And let's just let our focus be on that. And we declare it. So you pray for the sick and they don't get healed. Guess what? You pray for the next sick, per- sick person you see. And then you pray for the next sick person. Because the scripture tells us that the kingdom is these things. It's what it is. Don't let your past experience or modern science or whatever we want to call it dictate the God who intervenes into our world. We have a God who always intervenes because he loves us. He wants his people free from whatever bondage they're in. You could compare the, the Pharisee and, and Pharaoh and say, am I like them where God is trying to intervene in my world and I'm rejecting it and calling it something else? Both rejected the move of God. Let me say this, rejecting the miraculous is rejecting his kingdom. 
verse 15 and 16. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. There's two different groups there. Those who are attacking Jesus, the very person of him, they don't believe him, they don't trust him, they call him something else. And then there's the others, the undecided category. And both are against him. Why can I say that? Verse 23, Jesus says, Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. We as a church have a responsibility to either be for him or against him in bringing his kingdom, displaying his kingdom. We're for him or we're against him. Our goal as ambassadors of the kingdom is not to bring glory to ourselves, but to demonstrate the glory and the goodness of him. That's our goal in this thing. This is not to become some kind of major spectacle, but we do want the world to see his hand displayed. When the finger of God shows up, we should look at it, right? At City Lights, we want to see the finger of God move in us, in our city, and in our lives. Dan and his team are coming this week, and it's not about Dan and his team, but they literally go everywhere expecting the finger of God to move, and they see the finger of God to move. And I think it'd be really good for us as a church to partner with that and to expect God to move in our city, for God to, for God to show up in the prof- prophetic, in miracles and healings. We, we should expect that. It should be a part of our DNA. That makes sense. I know the religious idea goes against that because we want to make this whole thing about faith. And yes, it is about faith. I don't I don't need signs and wonders to know that God is real. But the person down the street might. The, that heroin addict does need it. They need delivered and set free. That demonized man needs it because they can't even see straight. They can't even talk. You think it doesn't exist in Scranton? You're wrong. I'm not going to go into that more this morning, but we'll get there later. We need, we need what's happening this week. We need what God's calling us to. He's calling us to be a church on the move, ushering in his kingdom, displaying his kingdom. His kingdom's already been planted through Christ, but we get to be a part of it. It's exciting. God hears our cry, and, and he will move in this city. That's the encouraging part this morning. I want you to Smile for a second. Some of you are frowning like, like I just you know, repoed your house. He hears our cry. When the church understands that it's a part of his kingdom, guess what? Darkness always tries to intervene. We will come up against opposition. I know this. I know it's a fact. Our church will be attacked. You will be attacked if you try to bring the kingdom of God. If you pray for somebody, they might start calling you insane or demonized or whatever. Go with it. <laughs> we will be attacked when we start moving forward in his kingdom, understanding who we are. We are starting off May with prayer and fasting. These are huge weapons in the kingdom. The kingdom has an armory. We have weapons. We have things that we use to get through our life. Make sense? And... And prayer and fasting is part of that. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but I'm asking, I'm asking you, are you ready to be on the move with the kingdom? Are you ready to start asking God? Paul tells us to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. 
He says that. They didn't stop. That's not a verse that we just get rid of now because it's the modern era, whatever. No, we should still eagerly desire spiritual gifts for a reason. Love. God's love through us to the city. If you want a reason, if you're like, I don't know about my heart. I don't trust my heart. What if I become arrogant and prideful? Or what if I could become whatever? Do you want his love to flow through you? Then you want spiritual gifts in your life. Does that make sense? But we, we do, we're going to talk about fasting next week. We're going to talk about why we're going to be praying and fasting. But I'm asking you to come into this week expecting God's move and to be in warfare. We, there is a real kingdom of darkness. It's real. I feel, I feel like i got to convince some of you guys this morning. It's like, nah, Jesse, we're okay. Okay. Let's stand with me. And... Uh, My final, my final thought for you this morning before we just worship for just a minute. We as the church need to understand who we are in Christ, what his kingdom looks like on the earth, what it can look like and will look like on the earth. We need to expect signs and wonders to be a part of that. This is the conversation, this is the message that we have not really had too much, but we need to have it. We need to begin to expect God's finger in our city, in our lives. And when we see it, let's not grow hard against it. Let's not call it something else. Let's declare his goodness. Make sense? This morning, we're just going to worship, and I would ask you to, self, to really recognize your own heart. Am I one that rejects these things, or am I one that embraces and asks God to bring them in my life? Where am I on the spectrum? Am I a Pharisee or a Pharaoh? Or am I a disciple who's just moving in signs and wonders? That's the question we have to ask this morning. You are invited to be a part of it, not because you've earned it, but because he's good. That's, that's the truth of the gospel. You're invited to be a part of this. The invitation's out. You either get to fill it out, yes, I'm coming, or no, yeah, I'm going to sit this one out. But when you do, like Jesus said, you're saying you're against me then. You're either for me and what I do on the earth, or you're against it. That's the question we have to answer. Let's worship this morning, and I challenge you to examine your hearts this morning.